Hi there. Welcome to Cold Turkey Podcast. This week I'm with Philip. Philip is in LA. He's uh he's all around the you know, like the the environment of TV producing and you know, like the the superstardom and all that. But um this is not really what we talked about. Actually, we talked about this uh, you know, like is is rocky and and challenging and bringing and um you know like some traumas that he had young in his life and actually um him pushing the limits of uh of his own life uh to almost to a brink and um at some point decided to uh to quit the alcohol and quit the drugs and uh, it was a fascinating experience talking to him you know like i i loved every second of it and um I don't want to hold you up um, without you know, like too long, but one thing for sure, you're going to find the ways to reach out to Philip um, in the description of the podcast and a uh, few, few things, few key items, uh, share the podcast, let the podcast known, um, give it a review. You can drop me an email at uh, podcastcoldturkey at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, enjoy uh, my conversation with Philip. Hey, Philip, how you doing? I love that song. I love that jingle, man. It's <laughs> it's very country. Like, I, you know, like the banjo. I, I was listening to country before we got on. So I was like, oh, man, this is it put me I'm calm now. I feel good. It's feel so good. it's so funny. I used Fiverr, you know, Fiverr, you know, like they, they yeah, you, Fiverr's you can, fantastic fanta- and awful at the same time. It's great. Yeah, and awful. You, have, you got the best <laughs> and the worst of both worlds. But, you know, like the, I, I asked for that jingle. That guy is like, what what is your thing about? And I got to tell him, you know, sobriety, you know, like recovery. It's like, Hold, hold my beer. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> almost. You know, like, and, and he comes back and he has like that solo banjo thing. I'm like, holy yeah. shit, man, you got it. And that was it. You know, I had nothing else, but I'm doing a podcast. It's going to be about recovery and people. And the guy's like, hold on. And came back with that. I was blown away. Anyways. Dude, you got super lucky. You know, <laughs> country boy can't survive. Ex- I mean, it's like, it's like one of those, you know, I, I, you know, as you know, we're, we're mixed into a lot of different things. And like, I use Fiverr all the time and it's like, I've had amazing experiences where I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. And then I've had times where I'm like, can you, can I get my $7 back? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Plus hours of explaining the same thing over and over. That's what I tell people. I always say to people when they're starting to like dabble in the virtual assistant or having people do other work for them. And I'm like, you, if you are looking for somebody to care about your project, this is not the place to go. No, no, no. Like no you no. need to be as you need to be as specific. Yep. As absolutely possible. You need to become um, the asshole it, boss. <laughs> yeah, you have. You know, we. You know, I work in. A, you know, I'm a television producer, and that's the main nine to five. And we we have a thing called the production triangle, which is, uh, you know, time, 
money and quality. Yep. And you're only allowed to have two of them. You can't have all three. <laughs> you can't have it cheap and expect it to be a good quality and a speedy amount of time. So it's like, I try to keep that in mind, although I still I still get angry. You know, I'm the guy oh, who yeah, can yeah. get angry over $15. It's ridiculous. Exactly. Where are you located, Phil? I am in Los Angeles, California. Awesome. So uh, sunny LA, man. I, I, I love it out here. It's, um, you know, it's 50 degrees, which means we're freezing. We're walking around with, with, uh, you know, jackets and hats and scarves <laughs> and acting like it's, if I knew like you better you know, with my own weather, I would say F you, but you know, like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's ridiculous. I'm, I'm actually, I'm originally from Detroit. So wow. I actually grew up in uh, Detroit, Michigan, where, you know, I was used to the cold growing up Yep. and then I moved out to LA and I had been working out here for a while. And I remember going and I was talking to my dad on the phone at one point, we were out in the woods shooting a, uh, we were shooting a TV show for discovery channel. And I'm talking to my dad. He's like, Hey, you know, there's such a dad thing to ask. Oh, Hey, how's the weather out there? Or like, like anybody cares. <laughs> uh, but my dad asked me how the weather was. I was like, man, dad, it's, it's freezing out here, man. I can't handle it. He's like, geez, how cold is it? I'm like, man, it's like 47. It's great. And, he, and the phone just went silent. And he was like, you are not my son anymore. <laughs> so as I do on every episode, maybe you want to start off and, you know, like uh, rewind back that tape of time just to tell me where does it all start? You know, like either by you witnessing substance use or uh, you using yourself, you know, like the kind yeah. of the family picture and, you know, like the, the environment on which you, you, you grew up. Totally, man. So, you know, as I had kind of mentioned, I, I grew up in Metro Detroit and, uh, you know, I was a, it was interesting for me because my father is a retired police chief uh, in Metro Detroit. And then my mother was involved in school board. So I had, I had parents that were very, very involved in my life and um, they were, they were fantastic. And but I was also growing up in an area that was, um, you know, like it wasn't always cool to be the cop's kid and it wasn't cool yeah. to be like, have this, you know, the, the school board members son. Right. And so I was growing up with a lot of kids that were a little bit tougher. You know, I, I was the youngest kid on my block. So I hung out with a lot of older kids and, and from a very early age, man, I always remember having that, um, you know, the, am I good enough? Am I funny enough? Am I cool enough to hang with the older guys? You know, always kind of being seven, eight, nine years old and having that insecurity of like, do I fit in? Am I enough to kick it? You had that so, young? Yeah, man. I, and it's weird. It, it really is to, to, to look back on and to know that like, man, I was in my head from a young age, dude. I was the guy that um, complete overachiever, right? Like needed to be all A's, not like wanted to get all A's, not wanted to learn. Like I needed A's. So you knew I was good. Like siblings, it was, it siblings, was crazy. Brothers and sisters. Yeah. I had an older sister. Um, you know, and, and I've had so many talks with the family about this and it's like, we don't know where it came from. Like it was one of those things that I just, from a young age, man, I started putting a lot of pressure on myself. Um, I wanted to make sure that my parents look good. I wanted to be the perfect little kid. Um, and, you know, so, so my, to kind of speed it up so that, you know, get me out of middle school quickly. Uh, <laughs> um, basically I started hanging out with the, you know, hanging out with these guys, the older guys. And, you know, my next door neighbor was, you know, four or five years older than I was. And he was kind of like my makeshift older brother. And, you know, we started, you know, when they were 15, 16, 17, and they started kind of messing around with drugs and alcohol, you know, I was 11. So I remember being at a, you know, being at a party and being 11 years old and, and drinking with these guys and being surrounded with all the older kids. And, you know, the, 
the older kids weren't, you know, they weren't mature enough either to know like, yo, this isn't smart. Like this is, yeah. you know, this, we shouldn't have this little, it's funny, right? Like we've all been there. That's, where it's like, Oh, look at the little kid. Having exactly. a beer. We think it's which hilarious. Is, yeah. Which is, which is the equivalent of, you know, like I've, my own uncle used to get me drunk at those Christmas totally. party because it was, right, it was it, kind of a joke, you know? Totally. Right. But when you're that age, you don't know. No, right? no, no. When no. you're that age, it's not. And so I remember being, you know, 11 and, and drinking with those guys and, and, and seeing they were doing it and I wanted to be cool like them. And, and there was that element of feeling, it wasn't even that I felt, it wasn't even that they accepted me because I was drinking, but somehow in my brain, I told myself I was being accepted because I was participating in what they were doing. So it was this own internal thing. And also, you know, anyone that's messed around with drugs and alcohol, man, like it gave me, it was a temporary solution to the, all of the noises and voices in my head that were constantly worried about, am I good enough? How do I look? Am I, what should I say? Blah, blah. Am I, oh, I got to be the cop's kid. I got to make my mom look good, blah, blah, all that. It was like, I drank and I did not give, I didn't give a shit. A shit. Yep. I didn't give a shit. It was, I was in the moment and it, it let me be present as crazy as that is. It was the thing that gave me that shortcut to the getting there. So, so we're not talking age, about the, you know, like the, the mind blowing eye opening experience of alcohol that some describes or, you know, like that heat that they feel, mm -hmm. which opens them up, even though it did open you up. It, it's, no, all man, it's all about escape, dude. It was not, an escape. Exactly. So it, totally. it, it relieved it that yeah. pressure. Yeah, it was, it was that man. And, and so for me, it became, I was, and then, you know, the crazy thing is like, from, so at that age, there was that little, you know, I don't even, I don't even think I connected the dots, but there was that moment of like, Oh, cool. Like this is, I can do this and I, and this is cool. I can do this and zone out and, and check it and whatever. Yep. And, and so I kind of, you know, it's not like I went crazy off the rail living under, you know, Vidox and things at that age, but like, you know, I started drinking, you know, the, the, the weekends would come, we had a campground that we would go to with those older guys and we would drink Friday, Saturday night, you know, parents were kind of doing their own thing. They weren't paying or went out with other people's friends and were away from my family. And, um, you know, it was like, you just got really, the crazy thing is how quickly you get good at like being able to mask it. So your parents don't find out, uh, there, you know, I was still on the honor roll. I was still involved in school and sports. Like I wasn't the kid that started burning out and everyone started noticing. Um, it was just that I got wild on the weekends. I wanted to just get absolutely wild. And, and for me, it was like that a little bit of an escape. And so, you know, but I, like I said, man, I still continued, um, you know, playing sports and, you know, it's funny, we, we were, we're talking about, you know, that being cold. And I remember this one time, you know, growing up in Detroit and it's, I remember it being a February and, you know, the snow is coming down and it's me, my dad, and my sister were sitting at the dinner table. And, uh, you know, my mom was in the hospital cause she'd had like a gallstone thing. And uh, so it was just the three of us sitting there. I was getting ready to go play basketball cause I was still involved in sports and whatnot. And we're joking and we're having a good time. And I remember all of a sudden I like looked at my dad and it was like, he had this, his whole face just shifted and he, he stood up at the dinner table. He walked over, he turned the television off and he sat and it was just me, my sister and my dad. And it was silent. And I'm like, looking at him, I'm like, dude, you're going to say something like what's going on. I'm like you can sneeze what's happening. And I'll never forget, man. He looked at us and he goes, you know, you guys, your mom does not have a gallstone. Your mom has cancer. And how old and are you? I was 14. Oh, fuck. And, and so I remember, I re dude, it's like just getting punched right in the stomach. You don't know what to do. You want to cry. You want to run away. You want to fight someone. Like you get so angry. And like, so I remember being there 
in, in crying with my dad and crying with my sister. And then, and then I, you know, like I put my Jersey on and I went and played basketball. And that was like my way of dealing with it. Like shut down, be a tough kid, shit happens, whatever, move on, you yeah. know? And so, you know, to, to make a long story short, man, you know, we had a year long battle for my mom with, you know, she did chemo, she did all the stuff. She lost her hair, her skin, you know, skin and eyes started turning colors. And, um, you know, they did a parade in her honor and we're doing all these things. And, and then, you know, January, January 3rd comes about 11 months after we'd found out. And, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm sitting at her bed, kneeling holding her hand, watching her take her last breath, you know, and she, she passed away a week before my 16th birthday. And so for me, it's like, you take a kid that's already kind of having the normal adolescent, who am I trying to figure out? Am I good enough thing? Start dabbling with alcohol. And now all of a sudden you add the loss of my mother on top of it. And I don't have, I didn't have any of the coping skills. I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't know how to really tell people what was going on. I mean, also like people don't know, like, what do you say to a 16 year old kid that just lost his mom? Oh, exactly. You know? And so for me, it became that thing of like, I went right back. I reverted right back to that thing of like, shut it down, lock it in. We can drink about it later. And it wasn't even that. And and here's the thing. I never made that connection as a 16 year old kid. Like, oh, I'm going to go get drunk because my mom is sick or my mom is dead. You know, it was never that thing. It was totally just like, well, this is life let's get, let's get wild. You know, I always yeah. joke that I like desperately wanted to be stifler from American pie. You know, like <laughs> I wanted to be, I wanted to be reckless. I wanted to drink, drink and drive. I wanted to fight people. I wanted to mess around with girls. I wanted to just be the wildest kid I could. And, you know, in that, that was the answer for a little while, you know, like I, I still had that workaholic tendency. So I was still performing in the classroom. So there weren't massive amounts of like red flags for the family or for school. And how did you know, your dad thing- and sister cope with, with that? Yeah. You know, my sister, my sister kind of, uh, retreated to her friends, you know, she kind of retreated to her friend base, um, which is funny because it was something that I had to, you know, later on in, in recovery, I, I had to address resentments towards her, you know, that I, I wanted her to behave a different way. I wanted her to be, you know, like the little pity party Phil wanted her to be there for me. Yeah. And, you know, when I had to appreciate that, you know, she was dealing with her own thing. She just lost her mom and she had to deal with her, you know, but, uh, and that's, I'll tell you what, just a real quick side note. That's the gift that this program gives. And that's the gift that recovery gives is the ability to like forgive people over things that like, I had a lot of resentment that I really had no business being resentful for, you know, like there's a lot of things that like I was hanging on to and angry at people and frustrated. And it was just my own anger being aimed at crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, Consuming. So yeah, yeah, totally. Right. And so, um, you know, one of the things that, that was interesting was my mom before she died and God bless her soul, man. And she, and I know she said it in the best way, but it really messed me up for a long time is, is she just said, she goes, Hey, you know, you got to be strong for your dad and your sister. And I think, you know, a, a, a dying mother's wish to say that, right. It's, I get it. I get why she would say it. She's trying to empower me. She's trying, right. That, that sentence messed me up for a long time. For sure. That sentence made me feel like them first 
dad first, my sister second, and then maybe one day, Phil. And even, you know, like the, the family harmony balance sits on your shoulder, Phil, you know, like mm-hmm. the, you know, like kind of the, totally. you know, I, like, I like, like you become the man of the yeah. house, you know, like, totally. or, and you, even in you take, you take a kid who took pressure and put pressure on himself to get A's. Yeah. And now you got a kid that takes the pressure on of trying to mend his family, like keep his yeah. family unit. Like it's ridiculous. I mean, like I'm 33 now, you know, I'm a much different guy. I can see myself from a different perspective, but like, yeah, I mean, do that, that, that took some time, you know, that de- definitely took some time to kind of break out of. And, um, but you know, so like the, the short run of it was, you know, I, I get ready, I graduate school, uh, I'm getting ready to go to college and, you know, the, the quick drunk log, right. Crashed the car at 18, drinking and driving, uh, got arrested again at 19 for, you know, uh, alcohol related offense, got arrested again at 20 for arrest alcohol related offense. At one point I got put in the hospital, Um, I had to get seven staples in my head after a fight. Uh, I got into another fight that I got, you know, got worked over pretty well in, um, you know, trying to be captain protector of helping other people out. Um, you know, the fights that a lot of just really bad decision make, I mean, the drinking driving was off the chain. Like that was the biggest thing that I used to do. And it wasn't just from like, I want to get from point A to point B. It was, I want to be reckless. Like I want to drive my car at the high school on the baseball field and run the, you know, like I, I think it was one of those things that when I look back on it, like I wanted to get caught because I wanted people to know how much pain I was in, but I didn't have the strength to be able to admit it. Like I want, like I got, I was really, I was filled with a lot of anger. You you, you, kind of had no mean to say it, you know, like you, you didn't know how, you know, totally. so, so your, your language at the time was just fucking around, you know, like and messing around. I'm like, it's like, it's like when they, you know, you got a little kid, like a seven, eight year old kid that's really angry and throws a fit because, <laughs> and throws a fit because he doesn't have the communication skills to Ex- express what he's feeling. Exactly. And he's, he's like, Oh, I, I'm so, uh, I feel something, but I don't know how to get it out. So yep. I, I hit something or I bang something. And it was like, for me, it was like, I don't know how to be vulnerable. Was it a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing where, you know, like you, you had that half of you that had to keep like your family in check, oh, but then the, the night crawler was just a fucking loose cannon. Bro, the mask, the mask I wore and, you know, like I'm not in, in, I say I, but like, you know, we speak in I statements and recovery, but like, if you're listening to this and you're there, like we're there, right? Like we put yeah, that yeah. mask on. I'm not trying to. Like my story, here's the thing. My story is not special. There's a million of our stories oh. that we hear, right? Like we're all in it and we're, we're in this thing together. But it was that thing of like, yeah, man, I was trying to hold it all together so much that like it was just ripping apart at the seams. And like what I kind of experienced was like the farther and farther and further that that mask that I had created became from actually who I really felt that I was, like, man, inside that gap between who I felt I was and in and, and, and you know, what I was portraying, man, dude, that is where like the shame and the guilt and the frustration and the anger and the sadness, bro, it just lived in there and it just like was festering. And so like, you know, like and I so said, you for, can't oh, get so, stoned or drunk enough to forget that as quickly no, dude, as possible. You know, like, you know and, and even like, you know, I talked about really briefly just about like the vulnerability of it. Like I had, I had, I was at least smart enough to, I had like what I almost call like rehearsed vulnerability. Like I knew, I knew that I couldn't completely shut down, 
and not share it all or because then people would be like, whoa, Phil's really not talking about. I learned how to I learned what I needed to say to get people off my back. You know, I, I talked a little bit and, you know, it's really hard, but like, you know, she's in a better place. You'd say all these, you know, you'd say all these BS yeah, things. Yeah, but it was your self-pity play. Yeah, totally. You know, like, like the self-pity tape that you have in your 100%. library. You know, like I could cry on command, Phil. You know, like so. Oh, <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think I cried once to get a girl's number. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You have no, like, oh, man, you have no clue what I'm sad. going through. Life is against oh, me. You know, like that, that fucking, you know, like, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, it, man, we, we do. We are, I don't know if it's being an alcoholic. I don't know if it's being human. We will use anything that we can, any tool in our disposal we will use. And if I got to, I, I had times if, if I need to play the, the dead mom card to get sympathy to blah, blah, blah. If I'm acting like it, I did it, man. I did all that stuff and I'm not proud of it, but I did it. Oh, no, and, exactly. And, it, yeah. and I think it's being, you know, like it, it's a sickness of being ego, egoist, you know, like a egoistic. And it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's only about you. You know, like I was trying totally. to explain someone how much um, you feel that you're such the center of the universe. Oh, that yeah. Everything that happens, there's kind of a look above saying, but why me? You know, like the. Where fuck you, man. You're like life yeah. happens. You're like you're 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 like something's break. You know, like stuff breaks and 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 you're like your fire get. You know, like your tire gets flats and you yeah. know, like <laughs> yeah, life happens, dude. You know, like it it happens and you know. So so let me. I'll kind of just jump into where it started to change for me. Was you know I had mentioned I had the car crash at 18. I got arrested at 19. At 20, um, I'm still was overachieving. Like I went to Michigan state university, uh, was graduating. I actually graduated a semester early because I was so on, like I was so fueled with needing to prove things that I graduate. I'm getting ready to move to LA to work in entertainment. And 11 days before I leave, I'm, I'm at the gym and I get a call from some buddies and they're at the bar and they're like, yo dude, come on up. Or, you know, it's like 11 in the morning, right? They're like watching the Michigan, Michigan state basketball game. And they're like, Hey, why don't you come up? And I'm like, all right, dude, I'll be there. I show up in my gym outfit and I, I'm like, all right, dude, I'll have one beer. You know, I want to see my boys before I move to California, blah, blah, blah. And I have one beer, man. And it was like, give me five minutes. I'm gonna go home and shower and I'll be back. And that was at one beer at 11 a.m. turned into me blowing like a getting pulled over, arrested 13, 14 hours later, blowing like a 0.28, 0.29, something like that and getting a DUI. And and it was like. You know, there's 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 those moments that I have to remember that like my intention and what will happen are a lot of times completely different things. If I pick up, you know, when my intention was to go there, have one drink with my buddies, watch the game and just get some cool camaraderie time. What happened was I was in a jail cell and I caught a case. Was this the first time Phil that those were, you know, like those, I call them seeds, right? Where it probably sitting in the jail cell, you, you tell yourself that can't be it. Was it the first time that happens or waking up from, you know, like a, a, a huge either blackout or whatever situation, there were those little seeds planted and you saying, you know, like no. you wake up from a hangover and yeah, and you're like, that can't be freaking life. You know, like that, that can't be life. I had, you know, I had, I used to get night terrors when I was in college and, and I would get, 
I would have times where I remember I'd be laying in bed and you know, like, you know how, when you're laying in bed, there's always like the darkest corner, yep. <laughs> like the, the, the darkest yeah. corner of the room, right? Like <laughs> yeah. the one where somehow it's just, it's darker than other places. Like, you know, I would see things, man. I'd close my eyes and I would see, I don't know if it was watching too many movies or what, but like I close my eyes and I would see like, I, man, I'd see bodies. Like I'd see like almost like crime scene esque type things. Right. And I know that sounds bananas and it, it, it even feels weird to say, um, in, in for, you know, for anyone that's listening and they've experienced night terrors, they're like, yep, been there. And if you don't, it sounds bananas. And it sounds like, dude, there's something super off. Uh, and, but it was just like, it was the, my body got to a place where I needed, I needed like the chemical I needed. I just needed to feel not me. Yeah. I needed a, I needed something that wasn't just me alone. It was something me it was me plus something else that helped me. You know, it was like that that medicine that I need something. Yeah. And and so like I knew I knew in college there were moments where I was like, "Yo, dude, this is not cool. Like this isn't good." Like, you know, I had had one point I had gotten sober for about 11 weeks at one point in college because I came home back to Detroit one weekend. I tried starting a fight. My dad was away. I tried starting a fight with a neighbor. I didn't know it was a neighbor. I was drinking a drive and I almost hit him on the street and tried to start a fight with him. And I ended up getting, getting, uh, uh, dis disinvited to ever come home again from my father, you know? And, um, so I had had a little thing where there's a little bit of red flags, but nothing too crazy. And, but I think there was a moment, you know, I had always said, I'm not an alcoholic because I'm on the Dean's list. I'm not an alcoholic because I got all this going on. I got, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to get good grades. I wouldn't be able to have friends. I wouldn't be able to do this. Everyone's drinking yeah. like this. I had all these excuses on why I wasn't an alcoholic. And then, and I always remember saying when it starts in negatively impacting my life is when it needs attention. I remember saying, Oh, I'll get to Los Angeles and I won't party as much, <laughs> which is, man, I would have been bad news <laughs> if I got out here. Um, but it was like, then I, then I got that DUI and it prevented me from being able to leave Michigan and I couldn't leave. I had to stay there and deal with the courts and the fees and the legal, legal stuff. And, and so that was the moment where, you know, it's so weird because there was that moment of like, there was a small moment of relief, dude. Like I can go and get some help and I can blame it on something else. I don't have to admit to my friends that I have a problem. I don't have to admit to anyone that I'm not drinking because I have a problem. I can say, Oh, I got to go to these meetings because the court's making me and I'm not allowed to drink because the court's making me. And that felt more comfortable for me at 22 years old, who I didn't know how to really like stand up for myself and be like, yeah, dude, I'm pretty broken. Remember that dead mom thing? I'm still pretty messed up over it. You know, I didn't know how to, and I, I don't even know if I really knew that that was why I had so much stuff, you know? Um, and so the beautiful thing about once I got to the program, man, was so much of my life, I had been so focused on the idea that I needed to prove myself. I needed to prove I was cool enough to kick it with you. I needed to prove that I was good enough on the sports field. I needed straight A's so you knew that I was smart. So it meant that I was worthy of something. And I had been so focused on this uh, accomplishment narrative in my head that I needed in order to be valuable to people, I needed to earn it. And I got to AA man. 
and a bunch of strangers, dude, a bunch of strangers who I had never met before, who didn't owe me anything. And they just loved me and accepted me, dude. And not because of anything I did. It wasn't because I came in there and was like so sad or was so nice or blah. They loved me and they cared for me and they listened to me. 100% because of the way they were choosing to live their lives. They chose, they loved me because they loved themselves so much and they so freely gave that. And it was really, dude, outside of my family, it was the first time I fe- that I ever really felt unconditionally loved and accepted by a bunch of strangers, you know? And, and- I have to ask you, the yeah. Phil, the performance freak that wanted yeah. to perform suddenly gets in a new environment, which is, which could be prop, you know, like you, you could, you could try performing there as well. Oh, and I did. Uh, okay. I thought I was killing it. I thought I was killing it, man. You know, I got know. this. They didn't see through it. They saw right through it, but I thought I was crushing it. I thought yeah. I was, you know, I thought I want, dude, I wanted to be the perfect AA person. I wanted yeah. to be like the best one ever, like in my head, right? But the, the 90, know, I, 90 I and all that stuff. Dude, yeah, I'm sitting, I'm, I'm sitting there and people are talking, but I'm, I'm putting together my best two minutes, man. Like I'm, 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 about, to, I'm about to save people with this two minutes talk. <laughs> good, man. You know, I'm in my head and, and, and you know what, dude, the beauty, and here's the thing that's amazing about recovery, bro. Like. They still listen and they're still there and, and they still support his way. They see, right. They see you through, they see you through your bullshit. You know, dude, I had, and, and I, I'd love to say that it, it lasted. A, I got a, after 90 days, I was great, dude. It took me five years to do the steps, bro. Five years, five years to do the steps. It took me eight months to get a sponsor. I didn't want to go through the steps And this. Was, and this is just, this is just real talk, dude. I did not want to do the steps because I was so afraid that I would do them wrong or that they wouldn't work. And then I was going to be hopeless. I was so nervous, like at least in my head, I was like, oh, well, I can always do the steps. Like it was like a safety net. Oh, I could go do these steps. But if I really do them and I didn't and they don't work, then what the hell am I going to do? And I'll never forget, bro. I was at a, I was at a meeting in, uh, I think it was either Sherman Oaks or North Hollywood, and I'm sharing at this men's stag meeting and, um, you know, I'm, I think I'm crushing it. You know, everyone's, you know, I feel like everyone thinks that I'm the best little guy ever. And, uh, and this dude walks up to me after the meeting, he walks right up to me. He goes, Hey, uh, you're full of shit. Get a sponsor. You're like, I'm, I was coming up on five years. He goes, five years is dangerous, bro. Get your shit together. Get a sponsor. Knock it off. And I, I was that like, car, that car ride must have been fuck that guy. <laughs> dude, I'll tell you what, that guy became my sponsor. And I That's was like, that was the first guy. I mean, I admitted things to him that I had never admitted to anybody ever. Things I felt shame. Like we're talking, you know, we're talking that good, like stuff you did at seven years old, that stuff you did at nine years old, that's still somehow creeping yeah. in your brain. Aunts you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and not only that, you know, like I, I, I was, I was thinking about, you're like, you, you're trying to bullshit. If you're trying to bullshit your way into this, you're yeah. actually sitting at the Jedi console of 
bullshitters. Yeah. You know, like oh, we've dude. we've been through that lying two face. Oh, you know, like you know, like everyone has been through that. You know, like so yeah. they see the newcomer like ah a rookie. You know? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, dude. And and, and like I you know, but the, man, God bless the 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 program, dude, because it's oh. like, you know, I remember I always remember like some of my early meetings, like first meetings, I remember going in and one of my first meetings, a dude took like a chip for 25 years. And I remember thinking like, man, if you're here in 25 years, this shit don't work, dude. Like, that's crazy. You know? And then, and then I stuck around long enough to understand the power of service and understand the importance of being there for the next guy. And not just for them. Like if I'm not part of this program, man, I like bad case scenario, I'll drink. Worst case scenario, I'll just stay a dick. Like flat out. Like yeah. I had I had time where I was in re- where I was sober. I was not I did not have serenity, man. I can I can say that. I was sober. I didn't have a drink, but I was dry, man. I was angry, I was frustrated, I was jaded. I was, you know, I, I'm coming, you know, it was funny, you know, where obviously 2020 is coming up. It's the end of a decade, right? So I, I was thinking about like, man, where was I? You know, you do that. There, people are Absolutely. posting their 10 years stories, yep. and and dude, I'm getting ready. You know, in a, in a few weeks, I'll, I'm turning 34, and I had a freak out at 24. Like people talk about their like quarter life, midlife crisis, then quarter life. Like I had a pre quarter life crisis. I remember 24 having my birthday and bawling my eyes out. And being like, what am I doing with my life? I'm not far enough along. I should be blah, blah, blah. I should this, I should that. Like the shoulds and the if onlys and all that garbage, man. And that was, and I was sober. You know what I'm saying? Like I was, I got sober at 22. um, And, you know, I was two years sober at that point. Wasn't working a program. Didn't have a sponsor. Wasn't going to consistent meetings. Didn't have a home group. Like, you know, you can have one, if you got three, if you, if there's four legs of the table and you got three of them and you're neglecting one, that table's tipping the hell over, man. Yeah. And it's like, you got to have all the elements of the table. And I was trying to, I was trying to be a, a, a one man, a guy out there on one leg. And you so know, you move, you move to LA. Yeah. How, how long have you been in recovery when you moved to LA? So I've, so, you know, I've never had a drink. In California, man. It's exactly. Kind of a cool so thing. after how much time of being in Detroit and and quitting yeah. booze and drugs did you move to LA? So I got a, I got um so I got sober January twenty eighth, and then I moved to LA the following February. So I got like a letter t- 13 months in yep. Michigan. So I got, you know, I dove in, I did at least get a good foundation. I did have a sponsor early on, but it was, it was not, it was like, I also had some girlfriends, but it was like, I knew that I was leaving. So it was easy yeah. to be committed to them. Right. <laughs> like exactly. It is, and it's, it's and, and when you're starting, it's like a checkbox thing. You're like, do the, you know, like service. Okay. I'll, I'll do the coffee and mop the floor. Awesome. Oh, yeah, check. Man. You know, I can get a sponsor. Hey, you want to sponsor me? Sure. Totally, check. Man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you find the guy who looks like he cares the least about being your sponsor and you're like, oh, he looks like he's not going to really give a shit if I call him or not. That guy sounds perfect. You know? Uh, and, um, and so that, you know, I did that, but yeah, so I did get, um, you know, I got sober. I was sober for about 11. Now, you know, the one thing I will say 
is, and I've heard, I've heard different theories on this, right? And, and I'm not going to say what's right, what's wrong. I'm only going to speak what worked for me. People talk about identity. And a lot of people talk about like the identity. Some people don't like the identity of being an alcoholic. They feel that it's negative and that it, you know, it, it kind of, oh, you know, I, then you got to identify as this, then it messes with your identity. And that's fine. Like I, everyone needs to do what works for them. I will say for me, one of the things that helped keep me sober when I was working a shitty program was the identity of being an alcoholic was like me saying it in, in like there was ego involved. There was like, you know, I'm a disciplined junkie. Like I love, you know, I, I'm a cop's kid. I grew up loving the military. Like the idea that, you know, like be hard nosed, do what you, you know, your, your word is your honor, all that stuff. Like that was so you know, that rigidness, I, I thrive on it. I've had to like dial it back a little bit as I've gotten older. Um, but there was a part of me that was like in the weak times, the identity of like, no man, I'm sober. Like I'm a sober guy. There were times where that was enough, man. And I'm not saying that it was the, per- and I'm not going to say that it's what people should do that is right for anyone. But there were moments where having the identity of calling myself an alcoholic and calling myself and saying I'm a sober guy, and this is in like it locked it in, and it helped me through a lot of lot of moments, man. That and so the, funny the, that you talk about this. So like I I did some two holiday specials with multiple mics. My first one was actually being young and sober, yeah. and the second one was about um, sobriety at parties. You know, like for because of yeah. the festivities, right? Because of the part the holiday parties, and you're like totally, uh, family reunion, professional reunion, and you know, like yeah, I work the, in the, sales the for God's triangle. sake. The Bermuda yeah. Triangle is real life, man. Exactly. But, but then again, you're like, I work as a sales professional. You can imagine how much there's, you know, like it's like the wine and mingle and, you know, like the, the, you know, lunch and booze and whatever. So we had a, and and it's funny because you, you just brought up something. Um, I remember my stepdad, um, you know, like he had like a new girlfriend and, um, we get at a restaurant and th- there's like that nonverbal that you can tell the waiter by just flipping your, your wine glass on the mm-hmm. other side and he gets it. You know, like it's like, it's like a universal sign that I'm not getting any drinks tonight, you know? Yeah. And, um, and she doesn't know me and she was Miss Discomfort and she's like, uh, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm not, dr- you know, like I'm not drinking tonight. I, I just use that, you know, like I'm not drinking yeah. tonight. And, uh, and she, right there, she's like, oh, because you're an alcoholic. And I was like, uh, yes. And I remember my daughter being fucking furious about her, you know, like, she was yeah. like, wow. You know, like, so just making everyone unease about this. I'm like, I don't care because it, it, the fact that I responded like quickly, yes, I am. Yeah. It created kind of, um. I think it was more used as a defense mechanism than anything. You know, like don't don't come here. You know, like don't just don't go there. You you probably yeah. are not equipped for it, and um and you make me think that you know like I guess that at at social events or at parties because there are some folks that will never understand that that you totally. can't have a drink. You know, like so. My guess is that yeah, you're using, you know what you know like I can't drink because I am an alcoholic. You know, like so. Yeah, it would be. I think it would, you know it was. 
it was interesting for me because so like when I got, you know, I, I had to make money, dude. Right. I had to, like with that, I was planning on moving to California all of a sudden, boom, like now, you know, now I got all these expenses and stuff and I need to work. Now the crazy thing is when I was 18, I started DJing. So I was DJing in nightclubs and I was DJing at bars and I was DJing parties. And so there was that element of me, that egotistical young guy that like when everyone was, you know, and like I said, I can only share my experience and my story. I'm not saying that it's the right, right way to do things, but there was a part of me that was like, yo, I can't change my people, places and things completely. Like I can't lock myself away in my room for the next 15 years. To, you're you know, 22 like I too. I mean, you're like, this man. is, yeah. <laughs> so, so, and, and, and I needed to make money. I needed, you know, I needed to work. And so like, you know, for me, it was one of those things that that identity of like, I cannot drink. And it was like, I needed to tell everyone like, yo, dude, I can't drink, man. Like I'm, you know, and it was early, early on, because like I said, I could blame it on the courts. You know, I always joke like, you know, the the state of Michigan thought it was a good idea for me to no longer drink alcohol. And, uh, but like that became a big thing for me. And I was, and I think it was actually good just for me. Like I said, I'm just talking for myself because it, it taught me, it like forced me to be in environments around it. And, and it really, you know, like now, sure. Was I flirting with disaster? Sure. Right. Like people say it all the time, right. Hang out in barbershop long enough. You're going to get a haircut. Yep. Um, you know, I can, I, I hear that, you know, but luckily for me, like my, whether it was the ego of it, whether it was just being open about it, whether it was just, I think there was element of me where like, I just really, dude, I was so unhappy. Like I really knew. And, and I would, dude, I was on fire. Like those early months in AA, man, anyone that's been in recovery in those early months when things start really changing, like, oh my goodness, you think you're going to blast off the planet. Like it's the best thing, you know, like month <laughs> six, seventh and eight, you're like, oh my God, is, does it just keep getting better? You know? And then life, you know, mellows out and you're like, oh shit. Um, but but it was, not only that, but I guess, you know, like from, from the kind of the timeline you tell me, humility was a almost like a necessary evil for you you know like so the fact that you get back to those places and mm -hmm. meet up with these people but have to humbly say sorry guys but i can't really be yeah. part of the party yeah. um the, no, the the the, fun <laughs> the funny thing is it's not really funny but i didn't learn this i so i didn't learn this until after i got sober my friends had a nickname for me once I got over the limit. Like they would call me the party monster. And it was like, it wasn't like, oh man, Phil started to drink too much. Or, oh, what about, it was just, fuck, party we're, monsters here. Like it was, it was that. And it was like, they knew I was, it, it was like, they could see it in my eyes when I like changed. Every people, you know, people knew way before I did that there was an issue and people, you know, so I think there was an element of a lot of my friends that had been around me for a couple of years and had watched the way that I drank and saw the things that I did. I, I don't think they were, they weren't trying to poke the bear, man. Like they, like they, they yeah. were appreciative of it. And, and I will say, you know, and this wasn't anything that this, this took years, but you know, the only guys, the only guys that ever gave me any type of resistance or, the guys that really pushed back or the guys that were like, dude, are you, why, why do you go to those meetings? Like you, you're not an alcohol. Like, why do you like, dude, you're not like, don't whatever. Like those guys that gave me the most harassment, not after three years, not at five years, but like at seven years, sober eight years, once we started getting deeper into our twenties in our thirties, 
those have all been the guys that have reached out to me and been like, yo, dude, I need help. Can you help me out? Like I got to get Absolutely. sober. Oh my and, God. Yeah, you have no idea. Dude, <laughs> and, 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 it, it, I was that kid too. I remember, I remember one kid in particular and this guy, he's a great dude. His name is Zach. I'll never forget in college, going to a college party and Zach was not drinking and he was so fun. Uh, sorry if you guys can hear the, the, the sirens, Los Angeles is a wild city. Um, but <laughs> you know, Zach was a, you know, Zach was an athlete. He was fun. He was a cool guy. He was high energy and he didn't drink. And I fucking hated him for it. Like, and yeah. this is me at like 19 years old and I'm looking at him and I'm like, why dude, why do you think you're better than me? You think you're better because you don't drink? Like I, I didn't even talk to him. I didn't even talk to him about it, but I had this whole thing because there was something internal. There was already the dependency on it. And I yep. didn't like that. You didn't need it. I didn't it like would that trigger you, free, you. It triggers you, you know, like yeah. it would just I didn't trigger like that you. You were free, bro. Yeah. And so it was like, then it, I got the flip side. Like I said, some of these guys are the people that were the most resistant to it. Years later have been guys that I've, that I've, you know, either helped get sober or at least have been able to, to talk with them and share my story to, to where they can figure out what's going on for them. Um, and, and so anyone that's out there, if you're, if you're catching, if you know, and first off, anyone that's still listening, like, thank you for hanging out with us this long. I know it's been, it's a good one, man. I really appreciate you guys. So thank you. Uh, and feel free, man, if you want to, you know, reach out, like share this episode, let, you know, share, you know, give a like to, to Alex or hit me up on social media, man. It really helps to, you know, just get more people about the message. But, you know, for me, the, it, yeah. So anyone that, that you're hitting any type of resistance from people, man, like one of the beautiful things, it's a sad thing, but it's a true thing that I've learned hurt people, hurt people, man, yep. hurt people, hurt people. And it's like the people that are, that are rude, that are hurting, that are giving you shit, that are pushing back on you. Like they're going through some shit too, man, or else they wouldn't be doing it. Happy people are too busy being happy and smiling and like shaking people's hands, happy people, fulfilled people. They are stoked on life and they're enjoying it. And they just want to share that with people. When people are <laughs> grimy and they're angry and they're frustrated that's what they, that's what they push out there. So Absolutely. it's like, you know, I had to learn that so much, you know, about, I don't have you know, time and energy, Phil, to, yeah. to hate. Mm -hmm. Like that's, you know, like, I, you know, like I may be angry, but what I'm, what I mean by that is that I, I, it's, it's funny what you just said, because you're like, I'm, I'm going through like a, like a, a rocky patch right now. You know, like, um, and, uh, it's, um, it's all about me kind of doing this self inventory and like, no, 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 no. I, it's, I, I've only done like the best I could. And you know, like it, it, it's not, you know, like I, I, I haven't attacked anyone, you know, like I'm, I'm, my focus right now is to do good, um, take care of my family, you know, like, you know, and all that. And then, you know, like you, you kind of get hurt and you're like, well, what have I done? You know, like, and, and then you kind of, you know, like you go through in your mind and you're like, but, but you just summed it up in, in perfect way, you know, like hurt people hurt people. And, you yeah. know, like, <laughs> um, and, dude, and I know that I have to like, you know, I always kind of joke about like, I have to fill proof my life, man. Like there's like that thinking, the crazy thoughts, the, the not doing enough, the, the, you know, if I'm not like, I have to, I got to make sure that I'm doing the things that I know work, going to meetings work, 
working the steps, it works. Talking with my sponsor, it works. Um, you know, I, I've always clung really strongly to like, I can't take a shower on Monday, be clean all week. Like I got to keep doing this thing every day. It's a new thing. I got to, I got to be working with people. I got to be talking with people. Um, because I know that my brain left to its own devices on its own when it's not getting, when I'm not putting in the effort to get filled with the right stuff, my brain is a seven-year-old entitled little cop's kid who just doesn't know why he's not getting it his way. And, and, and I can go there, you know, I, I had this moment, I had this moment one time and I go to this, I go to this rehab facility for an AA meeting. There's a meeting at his rehab and this dude walks up. He's about 28, 29. I was probably 26 at the time. So I'm already like, whatever that is, you know, four or five years sober. And this dude walks up and he's, uh, and he's like, yo man, I'm wearing everything I own, bro. Like he's homeless. He's 29 years old. He's homeless here in the streets in LA. And he's like, I want to get into this rehab cause I got to stop drinking. He's like, I drank last night. I got to, I got, I can't do this anymore. So you got a dude who's at like the end of his, end of his thing, you know? And so I remember me and a couple of other older cats, we're, we're talking with him after the meeting and we're just trying to encourage him. A couple of the guys were getting a little bit of loot together to try to get him a, ho a hotel room until the, the rehab opened up in the morning. And, and I give the dude a hug and I'm like, Hey, you know, after like 15, 20 minutes of talking with him, give him a hug. I'm like, Hey man, just stick with it. People, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I'm walking back to my car. As I'm walking to my car, I remember that I had a bag, like an emergency bag of clothes in case I, you know, got to a party and I needed a new shirt or wanted whatever. Yep. So I was like, oh, dude, I can hook this dude up. We we're about the same size. So I hooked this dude up with like a little bag with like, you know, shoes, you know, some underwear, socks, like shirts, a couple of, sh you know, basketball shorts, whatever. And I have in a bag and I walk up to this cat and I give him a hug and I go, hey, man, stick with the program. There's people that want to love you. Like, I wish you the best. And I'm walking and, I, and I, I turn away, you know, and I'm walking back to my car after doing this. And I feel I feel so connected with my higher power. I feel connected with the program. I feel so good. And that feeling lasted for about 32 seconds. And then my brain immediately said, you think, dude, what is wrong with you? Like, you think you're special? Why? Because you gave him some old clothes, dude. You gave him some old busted clothes. And now you're going to sit here and feel good about yourself. Like, in your brand you, new car. Right? You didn't give him money. You could have done more. Like what is, I at least was, I was at least in the program long enough to know like, that's crazy. Like, you know, there was at least yeah. a moment, but it did scare me because there was a part of me that I was like, is this my life? Is this this fault seeking brain is yeah. this what I have to deal with? And I remember I went home and I was talking with a friend and I was really like really messed up over this. And there was this nice moment where the, the, the person, thank God they were in therapy, right? They, they, I think they were just using their own therapist lines on to me and they go, you know, Phil, they knew that I'm really close with my sister. My sister's name is Carol Ann. And they go, Philip, if, if Carol Ann called you, and told you that story and she had done that thing for that person would you ever what would you say to her and i was like man i'd be so proud of her i'd be happy that that was where her brain went and that and that she offered to help another person and was of service to somebody and she was like so what in the hell makes it makes you think it's okay to be this way to yourself yeah 
And it was, it was a moment where I was like, oh, that's, oh, hello, perfectionism. Hello, insecurity. Hello, pity party, Phil. Like, like that's what that is for me. You know, and I had to, and it, and I'd love to say I fixed it right there. Um, but it took me a little bit of time. I had, I had an instance where, you know, and this is where I guess I kind of come to terms with that, right? Like that happened when I was, you know, 26, 27. And then this was just recently, man, I was out at a, um, um, there's a, there's a Memorial hospital here in Los Angeles, uh, for, you know, veterans and, and it was Memorial day. So I just went and sometimes, I'll, you know, I just go and I'll like, pray at the, you know, pray at the memorial or just be thankful, you know, be express gratitude towards soldiers that fought for the country. And, and so I'm there and, and I'm just looking at all these, all these tombstones of all these soldiers that, you know, some, some, you know, you can get buried there if you like survived the war and like you died in old age. Some people are buried there that died in the war. And, um, and I'm just thinking about their lives and I'm starting to think about my own life. And then this idea of being hard on myself came up and I'm like, why am I so hard on myself? And so I've, I start thinking about it and like, you know, I've, I, I do, you know, personal development coaching. And so I was like, all right, dude, coach yourself on this. How would you coach somebody? And so I start going down the line of thinking and I'm like, all right. And, and I'm like having this conversation with myself and I go, all right, Phil, you're hard on yourself. Cool. When was the first time you were hard on yourself? When do you remember it? And I was like, oh man, probably when I was real little. You know, I got all these examples of being a little kid and the sports and all this stuff. It's like, okay, cool. So it was something you started to do as a child, which therefore, by definition, makes it childish. Yeah. Yes. Great. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. So now that we've established that you have this thing that you do that's childish, have you ever made a conscious decision to change that childish behavior? No? Okay, great. So- so yeah. in a few seconds, I'm able to be like, great. So I have a childish habit that I've been, that I've become really good at because I've been doing it for so long and I've never consciously made the decision to change it. And I was like, cool. So now we've recognized the issue. We've labeled the issue. What's, what is a solution? And it's like, well, I know that that's tapped into my ego and it's me you know, me, me and the expectations of what I think I should have and me and my entitlement. So it's all about me, 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 me. So if the contrary action is not to do the me, 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 that means it's to do something for someone else. So how about call someone, reach out to another alcoholic, reach out to someone not in the program, reach out, text message, email, send somebody an encouraging message. And that, that little moment, that day, became a new thing in my life where anytime I catch myself being hard on myself, um, I immediately recognize it. I label it as childish. And then I, I get, I, I ask myself, is there anything here that I need to really be worried about? Like, is this a real problem? No, it's normally not. And I go, good. Get outside of yourself, stop being selfish and be of service to somebody else. And I'll tell you what, man, that has, that has helped me so much in just those moments of being like, dude, be encouraging, be of service. You know, like the program taught me that service and gratitude, they are not optional for me. Yeah. They're not optional. Those are not like, maybe if I get time for it, like I do not get to have a full and fulfilled life if I am not continuously and constantly practicing gratitude and being of service to people. Phil, no. 
I ha I know I have to cut you loose uh, because you're going to be late to your next appointment. Oh, yes, uh, thank you, man. I have to thank you a lot. For me, it's just uh, people that uh, listens to me regularly are fed up of me saying how blessed I feel getting in touch with people that don't know me. Mm -hmm. Get it like a quick yes of accepting to be part of that at you know like that experience that I'm going through. Uh, I told you before recording how much this has become one of the most life-changing experience professionally, personally that I've ever gone through. Uh, and you're part of it, Phil, you know, like you just, uh, you made my day. I was talking to a guy yesterday, talking to me about quitting sugar and um, how, how he, he made a relation between sugar and drugs and da, 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 da. And then at some point I realized that I haven't listened to him for the past 10 minutes because my brain was fucking panicking just, <laughs> at, the, just at the scenario of me leaving sugar. Yeah. And while he's trying to justify his, you know, like, like his explanation and rationalize it, yeah. I was like, hold on, hold on. I fucking get it. Because I, for the past 10 minutes, I was just like freaking out in my head, you know, like anyways, just to say that, you know, like even during our conversation, it's just like I, I, an eye-opening experience all the while, you know, like, so it's just fantastic. And as you said, you know, like we're not, we're not that different one another, uh, you know, like from, from one and another, yeah. you know, like we're the same. There's, there's something that even though you like, we all have our own kind of share of traumas that are different and the way we handle those traumas is different. But at the same time, you know, like the, the, um, most of the stuff that you talked about in our, in our coping mechanism, yeah, it's universal. You know, like we oh, were, totally, man. It, you know, and, you know, and first off, man, just thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate you, you know, you, you letting me come on your podcast and, and thank you. Like I said, man, we're now 55 minutes in, man. If anyone is still listening, thank you so much for hanging out with us. <laughs> and, but you know, the thing I'll, I'll end on this, man, like obviously I'm a TV producer and, um, you know, so I'm really tapped into the entertainment world here in Los Angeles, but you know, there's a thing in, there's a thing in movies in script writing called the 180 rule of character development. And you basically can take any movie and take, you know, if you're at home, take your favorite movie and you look at who is, who is the character at the beginning of the movie. And they're generally the opposite at the end of it, right? It's what we call the hero's journey. It's also called a character arc, right? Like we liked, you know, it's, you take a movie like the 40 year old virgin, right? Like if you've ever seen that movie, Steve Carell starts the movie. He's got no friends. He has no date. He's a virgin. He's got this kind of meaningless life. The complete, he goes through all this craziness, all this stuff happens, blah, blah, blah. You're in the movie, act two, all this. And then at the end of the movie, he's laying in bed with his wife. He's no longer virgin. He's got a great friend group, right? It's the 180 rule. The things that we go through in life, while they are unique to our life and they are special in our life, they do not make us better or worse or more special or less special than other people based on what they have done. The biggest thing. And I always say this for myself, my mom dying, me having issues with alcohol, me being hospitalized because of it, all these things that I've experienced, all the pain, the heart, none of that is what makes me special. The reason in where I feel uniquely, genuinely appreciative of my life is because of the man I've become on the other end of all those things. And we have to remember and remind ourselves not to get so caught up in 
the hardship or the struggle that we forget about who are we becoming and who is that person that is going to be in the last act? Who are we? How do we get to show up for others? How do we get to be there for other people? How do we get to be there and be powerful for others and for our friends and our family and strangers and those that are already hurting the guy you don't like at the meeting, but you know, he needs it. The little kid that thinks he's got his shit together, but you got to walk up to him and tell him he's going to fucking relapse. If he doesn't get a sponsor, like, that's the power that we have. And it's all about understanding that the hardship is not the special thing. The special thing is who we become on the other end of it. Phil, where can people find you? If they're looking for you, if they, you know, like if they want to get in touch with you, where can Definitely. they find you? Uh, so, you know, best thing, I mean, I've got a website, uh, philipandrew.co. I always joke, it's, I couldn't afford the M. The M was expensive, <laughs> the .com. Uh, also, I, I did write a book. We didn't talk about it, but we don't need to, man. If it, if something, you guys can check it out. I wrote a book called All the Reasons I Hate My 28-Year-Old Boss. Uh, so you could go to hatemyboss.com. Or no, I'm sorry, hatemybossbook.com. And on social media and all those things, you can find me Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at Philip Andrew LA. And I'm sure you'll have like a little note or something nearby. Exactly. But, uh, Alex, I'll be I'll be adding all of those links to the description of the episode. So if you if you scroll down, you're gonna find them there. And uh again, Phil, you know, like it was a, it was a It was a pleasure to meet with you. You know, like uh, we've had uh, one contact in common that introduced you to me and mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm grateful that we met. I'm grateful as well, man. Thank you very much. Hey, stay warm out there. Stay Thank warm. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. Take care, bye my bye. brother. Bye.